two-part series that I started last week. And um, if you're here for the first time and you weren't here last Sunday and didn't hear the first part, it's okay. I like to preach a series and have standalone messages. That way, if you miss something on the first week, uh, you can you can pick right up with us as we as we move forward. Romans chapter eight. Apostle Paul writes here, obviously, to the church at Rome. And here's what he said, For we were saved, verse 24, For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We eagerly wait for it. I want to take a few moments today, and I want to tie this little series up entitled, What Are You Waiting For? What are you waiting for? Could we pray one last time, then I'll let you be seated. Father, thank you today for the word. Thank you for the spirit of worship. Thank you for the witness today of the Holy Spirit. And thank you for wonderful people that have gathered here this morning in this sanctuary to worship you. God, I pray today you'll, you'll help me to communicate the truth of your word. Father, let me only say what you want me to say, Father. Put a guard over my mouth, Lord. And I pray you'll help me to preach with passion, but let me preach with a heart of love today. And I believe that in these altars, in these next few moments, God, you're going to do something incredible. I believe people are going to encounter you, God, and their lives are going to be changed. I love you today. I thank you for what you're going to do. And the church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Pastor Tony, thank you for your help. <clears throat> Waiting. The very mention of that word invokes all sorts of negative feelings. And here's why. Because we are not people, for the most part, that have been wired to enjoy or like waiting. Can I get an amen? But the truth of the matter is that we spend a lot of our time waiting. We wait in doctor's offices. We wait in Restaurants, some of you will wait today for a long time in a restaurant. We wait at stoplights. We wait in traffic. Sometimes it even feels like we are waiting on waiting. Presently, we are living in a culture that is accustomed to getting what they want and, Brother Turpin, when they want it. We are a microwavable, drive-through, should have had it yesterday society. I mean, America is in such a hurry that over the last several years, there have been these funeral homes that have been popping up across the nation that now offer, get this, drive-through viewing services. Honest. You can now Drive up and look through a glass window 
You can view the dead. You get a five-minute limit, and when you're done, you pull off. You never have to get out of your car. America's in a hurry. But regardless of how modern and how convenient and how technological and how digitalized that this world becomes, waiting will always be a part of our life. I mean, consider the fact that Abraham waited 25 years for the promised son to come that God said he could have. Joseph, the dreamer boy, favored by his father, given a coat of many colors, waited 13 years from the time he had the dream until the time that it came to pass. And many of those years were sitting in a prison cell. Moses. Moses waited 40 years on the backside of a desert before God would ever bring him out and allow him to lead the children of Israel into a promised land. The 120 in the New Testament that Jesus told to tarry, to wait in the city of Jerusalem till they be endued with power, they went to an upper room. And for 10 days, for 240 hours, they waited for the outpouring and the manifestation of the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is full. It's full of verses about waiting. Psalm 33 and 20 says, Our soul waits patiently for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 37 and 3, the writer said this, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That minor prophet Micah in Micah 7 and 25 says this, I will look to the Lord. I will wait upon the God of my salvation. My God will hear me, he said. And then in Galatians 5 and 5, the apostle Paul said, for we through the Spirit, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Waiting is just something that we're going to have to learn to do. And the Apostle Paul here in Romans talks about some things that we have already seen. And he says because we've already seen some of those things, our hope for them has already been fulfilled. But if you look at the 25th verse, Paul talks about some things that we have yet to see. And it is those things that we have not yet laid our eyes upon that, that we hope for with expectation. But not only do we hope for them, Paul said we eagerly wait for them with perseverance. Listen, it takes perseverance to wait and to wait right. He said those things we haven't seen we eagerly wait for with perseverance. So, so here's the question I've been asking the last couple of weeks. What are we waiting for? I could ask that today to any of you, and you would probably give me a long list of things that you're waiting for. When I ask that question this morning, what are we waiting for? That's indicative of something that's coming in the future. There are some things futuristically that we are waiting 
for. Some things that Scripture talks to us about that we are going to receive. Last week I told you that we are waiting for a prophesied event. And that prophesied event is the soon, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back again to take us to heaven. Not only are we waiting for a prophesied event, but we are waiting for a perfect body. The Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ appears, that we will be like him, 1 John 3 and 2, for we will see him as he is. Listen, there is a day coming when all of the imperfections of this old physical body, all of the imperfections of this sin-sick and sin-stained world are going to vanish away and victory is finally going to be ours. That means that when Jesus Christ appears, the former things are going to pass away. All things are going to become new. And that means we will never have to experience any more any tragedy or trial or turmoil or test or sickness or sin or separation or death, or disease, or devastation, or destruction. That day will come. We will put off this old shell. We will take on a glorified body, and we will have that perfect body. There will be no more heart disease, and heart attacks, and strokes, and cancer, and sugar diabetes, and blindness, and lameness. When Jesus Christ appears, we will be like him, and we will receive that perfect body we've been waiting for. Hallelujah. Now, I told you last week, I know some of you are saying, Pastor, look at me. What, what else do I need? You need a lot of help. You need a lot of help. So do I. But I want to tell you two more things today that we're waiting for. Number one, I believe we are waiting for a prepared place. And that prepared place is none other than heaven. There is the promise of heaven. And I want you to know today that heaven is indeed a very real place. The Bible talks about heaven being a city. It calls it a country. It calls it a kingdom. I want you to know this morning that, that heaven is not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a figment of your imagination. But it is a real place that was made for real people just like you and me. Listen, do you realize that 76% of people believe that heaven is a real place? 14% of people believe that it's only symbolic. There are 551 references to heaven in the Scripture. But yet after all of that, there are still one out of every four people that have no idea what happens to them when they die. I want to tell you today that if you were to taste death on this side of heaven before Jesus Christ comes, if you were to close your eyes in death today and your heart is ready to meet the Lord, the next face you will see will be the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Philippians 1 and 21, he said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And Jesus 
Jesus left no doubt about it as it concerns the promise of this prepared place when he said in John 14 verses 1, 2, and 3, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For in my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And while we're down here today worshiping, I believe there's a heavenly construction team up there. They're working on your mansion, and they're working on my mansion, and I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for that prepared place. I'm waiting for that place called heaven. I'm waiting for that place called glory. I'm waiting for a prepared place. Listen, Jesus could come today and the next place our footsteps, it could be on streets of gold. The next thing our eyes see could be gates that are made of pearl. The next body of water we walk in, it could be the very river of life. I'm telling you, Jesus is preparing a place for you and he's preparing a place for me. I'm ready for the splendor and the glory of a place called heaven. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come on, somebody praise him today. Hallelujah. There is a promise of a prepared place. Let me talk to you just for a moment this morning, if you don't mind, about this place called heaven. The Bible gives us much description and much detail about this place called heaven. Heaven is a place of wonder. Can I read to you just for a moment from Revelation chapter 21? Beginning at verse number 10, permit me to read a few verses that describes this place. And he carried me away, John said in the spirit, to a great and a high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. And twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of that city, John said, had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. He said the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. The constructions of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city, they were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. He goes down to verse 21 and says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Verse 22 John said, but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. I believe it's safe to say that heaven is indeed a place of wonder. I believe it's what the Apostle 
Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 when he said, but as it is written, eye has not seen and ear has not heard and neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for those who love him. I'm not sure that our human minds can begin to comprehend and understand the wonder of a place called heaven. When you start talking about streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl and 12 foundations and 12 gates and there's no need for light because Jesus Christ lights up the entire city. I believe it's safe to say today that heaven is indeed a place of wonder. Not only is it a place of wonder, but listen, it's a place of worship. Do you realize that Jesus is the center of everything in heaven? Permit me one more time to borrow from Revelation chapter 5 and listen to what John said. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. Listen to this. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 times 10,000, saying with a loud voice, a place of worship. Listen, here's what they said. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive. God, I'm about to have church by myself up here. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing in every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Do you know who John is talking about there? Do you know who he's talking about when he says worthy is the lamb? It's not a man. It's not a patriarch from Scripture, but it is Jesus Christ himself who is the center of everything that goes on in heaven. And can I tell you today that when we make Jesus Christ the center of our lives down here we get a little taste of heaven right down here on this earth and it just stands to reason today that if it is the will of God for Jesus to be at the center of everything in heaven it is the will of God for Jesus to be the center of your life today he's not content with second place he doesn't want 99.9% of your heart but James Hanks Jesus wants every single part of our being and if it's God's will to worship Jesus up there, it just stands to reason. It's his will to worship him down here and make him the center of everything. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it's God's will for Jesus to be worshiped up there, it's God's will for Jesus to be worshiped down here. He wants every single part of your heart. He wants every single part of your life. He wants to be the center of everything. I want him to be the center of my life. I want him to be the center of this church. I want him to be the center of my family. There's nobody like the Lord Jesus Christ and heaven is indeed a place of worship. Hallelujah. 
Why don't you raise up your hands right now and just give the Lord Jesus Christ worship. Worthy is the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the earth. Let there be blessing and glory and honor and praise unto him who sits on the throne. Hallelujah. What a day. What a day that shall be. In the words of that old song, when my Jesus, I shall see. When he takes me by the hand. And leads me through the promised land. What a day. What a glorious day that's going to be. I'm waiting for a prepared place. And not only is it a place of wonder, not only is it a place of worship, but listen to me, it's a place that is waiting and it's ready for you. Here's the question I want to ask you this morning and present to you. Are you ready for heaven? The only way. Let me talk to you a little bit now. The only way that you can gain entry into heaven is through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing more. And nothing less. Jesus himself said, I am the way, John 14 and 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, good works won't get you into heaven. You can't ride in on the coattails of your mama and your daddy and your heritage and your history. You don't go just because you're a good moral person and been baptized three or four times and joined the church or even paid your tithes. The only way to heaven is when a man or a woman lays their life down and opens their heart and invites Jesus Christ to come in and begins to establish a personal relationship with him. That is the only way to heaven. And I'd like for some folks in this culture today, especially Oprah Winfrey, who's been preaching this gospel for some time now that there are many ways to God and there are many pathways to heaven. That's the biggest bunch of hogwash I've ever heard in my life. There are not many ways to God. There are not many pathways to heaven. There is only one way that man can be saved and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, I don't know if I like that. I don't care this morning. Sorry. It's the truth. The only way you're getting there is by accepting the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the work of Calvary. I didn't mean to sound rude when I said I don't care. I, I do care, but I don't care if it offends you. I said that early on in my ministry, and I used to say, well, I don't care. You can leave if you don't like it. Well, folks started taking me up on that, so I quit saying that. Pastor Weaver, I was young and dumb. Now I'm a little bit older and probably still a little bit dumb. You realize that 15% of people believe that they're going to make it to heaven because they obey the Ten Commandments. 15% of people believe they're going to make it to heaven because they are basically a good moral person. 6% of people believe that they're going to go to heaven because God loves people too much to allow them to perish. 
I'm going to tell you something today. God has never sent one person to hell. God has never one time barred anyone from getting into heaven. The only reason that people today are lost for eternity and are living in hell. And by the way, hell is a real place. It is eternal punishment. It's eternal torment. It is pain. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you die without Christ or Christ comes back, you don't make it to heaven. I don't care what any TV preacher has told you. Can I get a little, little help this morning? If I'm going to preach, I might as well preach the truth of the gospel. Everybody doesn't make it to heaven. But only those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ. And every person that's ever gone to hell, they've gone by their own choosing and they have stepped over the cross before they ever got there. Because every single person that's in hell right now had an opportunity to receive the work of the cross that Christ did upon it. Now, Pastor, you can't be preaching like that on Mother's Day. we got guests here, and we want them to feel comfortable. We don't want them to leave here and feel convicted and feel uneasy and, you know, try to scare them. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm trying to tell you the truth today of what this book says. That without a relationship with Christ, we cannot live in heaven for eternity. I didn't write the book. And there are not many ways to God. There's not many paths to God. Listen, you, you can't find God and make it to heaven based on what the New Age movement tells you. Listen, you can't, you're not going to just make it to heaven by, by making this inner peace with yourself and it makes you feel good and there's some higher power out there somewhere and that's just how it is. That's not how it is. There's only one way. And the way that you find peace is not through meditation, not through some inner spiritual thing you're looking for or somebody reading your palm or telling you your future. The only way you find peace is when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. And when you do that, you'll find peace that you've never had before in your life. I'm waiting for a prepared place. Here's the second thing. This is the last one. I'm waiting for a promised crown. Do you realize that the New Testament, and we'll teach a little bit here now, and I'm going to tie this thing up. The New Testament talks about five heavenly crowns that are going to be awarded to believers. And when we see the word crown in the New Testament, it is the Greek word stephanos. And it comes, it is a root from the word Stephen. Stephen, if you know the New Testament, Acts chapter 7, he was the first martyr of Jesus Christ. And they stoned him to death because he preached and declared Jesus was the Messiah. And as he looked up into heaven that day, as they were stoning him, he said, I, I see the heavens open and I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And before that last boulder came crushing down on his skull, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Bible said he closed his eyes in sleep. He was carried into the presence of the Lord. And they laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul who took responsibility for his death, who would later become the Apostle Paul. And when we see 
a crown, <clears throat> as the New Testament describes it for us. It is a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a badge of, it's a badge of royalty. It was a, a prize in the public games. It was a symbol of honor. So what does all that mean, Pastor? Well, it's in reference to these ancient Greek games that they used to play, much like our Olympics today. If you study that out, you will know that they had, they had chariot races. They had races on foot. They had many of the same things that, that we see in our Summer Olympics today, shot put in discus. And when one of those individuals would, would win one of those athletic contests, they would take a wreath or a garland of leaves and they would place it on top of the victor's head as a reward for them winning that competition. It's what the Apostle Paul <clears throat> was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 and 25. Now, here's what he said. Do you not know that those who run in a race, that all run, but only one obtains the prize? He said, run in such a way that you may obtain it. He said, and to everyone who competes for the prize, he said, they are temperate, self-controlled in all things. Now listen to what he said. He said, they do it <clears throat> to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. What was Paul saying there? What was he doing there? He was comparing this Christian walk. And he was comparing this Christian life to a race. And that as we walk this thing out and as we live this life and as we serve the Lord, we have to stay steady in this walk. And while those folks that are competing in that athletic contest, they're, they're striving for something that's going to perish. But Paul said those of us in this Christian race, we're working for an imperishable crown that will never fade away. And these five crowns that will be given to believers as a reward will come on a day, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, that we will stand, all of us, at the judgment seat of Christ. It is the Greek word, it is the, the, the Greek uh, context of the Bema seat. And that is in reference, again, to these Olympic Games when a a judge would sit at the end of a finish line high on a platform in a seat or a chair. And he would determine who crossed the finish line, first, second, third, and he would determine who got the gold, the silver, or the bronze. Now, let me teach a little bit today. There is a day coming that every believer will stand at the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ and will give an account for our lives. Now, don't mistake and misunderstand this judgment seat with the great white throne judgment. Completely different. The judgment seat of Christ is only for believers. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be condemned. We will not be punished for our sin, but we will simply be rewarded for the work that we've done down here. 
and all of us. Because listen, once we get there, when we are raptured away, we are called away, we're not going to come to the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord say, oh, by the way, you made it here, but I found something on your record here. We're going to have to kick you out. That's not going to happen. But believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll give an account. And there's five crowns that we have the possibility of being awarded. First of all, it's the imperishable crown, or it's called the victor's crown. That's the crown that the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. That crown is reserved for those who have endured and have finished the race. That crown, I believe, in my opinion now, I believe every single believer that stands at the judgment seat of Christ, I believe that we will receive that imperishable crown or the victor's crown. It's reserved for those folks that have denied themselves. They've taken up the cross of Christ and they've served him faithfully. I know we're on Facebook Live, but I need to come down here a little bit. It's not for folks that have been perfect. It's not for folks that haven't tripped up and struggled, but it's for those that have faithfully finished. And if you make it to the judgment seat of Christ, I want to tell you, you have faithfully finished. And it's a victor's crown. And it's a crown that we receive because we've endured. It's a crown that we receive because we've denied ourselves and we've taken up the cross of Christ and we've served His cause faithfully. There's a second crown. It's called the crown of rejoicing. That is also known as the soul winner's crown. And that is the crown that is reserved for those men and women who have led people to the Lord, who have shared their faith and shared their testimony and have been instrumental in winning people to Christ. We find it in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19 when Paul said this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing is it not even for us is it not even for us who stand in the presence of God or in the presence of God at his coming listen I'm convinced that early this morning when Cecil Deal drew his last breath and made his entrance into heaven, there is a soul winner's crown for him. I don't have time to tell you the places he served, the mission work that he's done, and the people that he's won to the Lord. Soul winner's crown. Here's a third crown, and it's called the crown of righteousness. We see this crown in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. Here's what Paul said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. <clears throat> and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now, watch what he said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, but not only to me, Paul said, but to all of those who love his appearing crown of righteousness is reserved for those who have done right. 
It's reserved for those who have lived a righteous, pure life. Not a perfect life, but a righteous life. And the righteousness, listen, that we have is because of the righteousness that we receive through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't do it on your own. You can't receive it on your own. And watch what Paul said. It's those who have done right and those who love his appearing. And those of us who love his appearing, listen, we're going to do right. Because we love him and we look for and we long for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, that will cause us to want to do right and to live righteously. And Paul said there's a crown of righteousness. Here's a fourth crown. Pastor Tony, come help me land this, please. It's called the crown of glory. And this is a crown that is reserved for those men and women who have preached the word, who have taught the word, who have served in ministry, who have shepherded the flock that God put before them, who have been faithful to the calling of ministry that God put on their life. Peter talks about it, 1 Peter 5 and 4. And he said, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's a final crown I want to talk about, and I'll close with this. It's called the crown of life. This is the crown that is reserved, or they call it the martyr's crown. This is the crown that is reserved for men and women who have suffered persecution for the cause of Christ. This is a crown that is reserved for those that have laid their lives down literally for the cause of Christ and have been killed and have suffered persecution and have been tortured and punished for their faith in Christ. You do know today that while we are, excuse me, comfortably sitting in this sanctuary, And while we will get up in the morning and we'll go to our jobs and we can be public about our faith with no fear, you do realize that all across this world there are men and women that will die because of their faith. We've seen it over the last few years as this group called ISIS has beheaded Christian men and women because of their faith tortured, crucified some because of their faith. We see this in Revelation 2 and 10. When John says, be thou faithful unto, or Jesus says, John writes it, be thou faithful unto death. Jesus said, I'll give you the crown of life. We see it in James chapter 1, verse number 12. James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I won't be in line to receive that crown. I don't think that 
I don't know the day may come that we may have to lay our lives down literally for the cause of Christ. I would hope that if it ever came to that, Pastor Jeremy, I'd have no reservation at all. Someone were to say to me, either deny Christ or suffer death. I hope I would be confident and bold and say, you'll have to take my life because I cannot deny my Lord. My mind goes back. We, I watched something the other night. <clears throat> Many of you recall back April the 20th, 1999 at Columbine High School, Littleton, Colorado. At that point was the deadliest mass shooting in our country. Fifteen people lost their lives that day. Twelve students, a teacher, and then the two young men, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, that inflicted all of the damage and left the carnage that was in that school. There was two young ladies that became very well known because of their death. That was a girl named Rachel Scott and another girl named Cassie Bernal. Both of those girls were unashamedly Christian. I recall reading Cassie's story. And there were some folks that were in the library that day with her. And they they ended up surviving. There was a young man that was there that day and that heard the exchange that went on. He said that Cassie was underneath a, a, a table in the library. And he heard one of the boys, he believed it was Eric, that walked up to her and began to dialogue with her about her faith in Christ. The young man who was in the library that day said that he heard Eric Harris say to her, you are a believer in Christ, right? And then he said, now if you say yes, I'm going to kill you. The young man in the library said that he remembers hearing Cassie. Without hesitating, voice a little shaky and quivering, but heard her say, yes, I am. Yes, I do. The next sound that young man heard was a pop of a gun. He had shot her point blank in the head. As they went in and got her body, there was a, some information that came out that her fingertips were blown off. And they said that it's more than likely where she probably tried to shield her head from that bullet. I'm pretty certain. When we stand at the judgment seat of Christ that day and Jesus, who's going to be the judge and oversee, when he, when he goes down the road and calls Cassie Bernal, there's going to be a crown of life, a martyr's crown for that young lady that willingly and faithfully laid her life down for the cause of Christ. I, I, don't, I don't know if any of us will ever be in that place. We may. I hope to God we're not, but we might. And I hope to God that I am as confident in that moment as I am when I stand behind a pulpit and preach and if they ask me I can say without reservation look them square in the eye and put my shoulders back and say you better believe I am go ahead and take my life because the next face I'll see will be the face of Jesus I asked my kids on Friday night I, you know they, they didn't it was, it was a movie called I'm Not Ashamed it was about the story of Rachel Scott, another girl who was unashamed about her faith, obviously. And I asked my kids. They, they were kind of in and out of, you know, we don't watch no movie. We ain't watch no movie. You know, so they kind of in and out. 
So they sat in there like they weren't watching it, but they were watching it. And I said to them, what, what would you do? That was you. And they both said, gosh, did I, I don't know. That's a tough question to ponder for a 16 and a 13. That's a tough question for a 40-year-old to ponder. But I hope my resolve is strong if I ever face it. Listen, I'm not working down here. I've preached way too long. I'm sorry. I'm not working down here and living this life down here for temporary pleasure or temporary gain. I'm not storing up for myself treasure down here, but I'm storing up for myself treasure in heaven, Jesus said. And whether I get any one of those five crowns or not, I'm not, I'm not worried about that, but here's what I do want to make sure that I hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Here's a question today. Will you even be at the judgment seat of Christ? Because here's the truth. If you don't have a relationship with Him, you won't be there that day. There's another judgment that's going to come. It's the great white throne judgment. The Bible said the sea is going to give up its dead. And unbelievers are going to stand before the Lord, and that's going to be the time when he'll look at people that rejected him and never served him and will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they'll be cast into outer darkness place called hell where the Bible says there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. I don't want to hear God say that, but here's the reality. It's unfortunate that there'll be people at that great white throne judgment, hundreds of thousands, that will not make it in, much less have an opportunity for a crown. Listen, I want I want to receive my reward when I get there. When that day comes, I want him to be able to look at me and say, well done. And you get this crown, and you get this crown, and you get this crown. I don't know. I don't know. I may not get any. As long as I get there and hear him say, Aunt B, well done. I don't know about you, but I'm waiting for a promised crown. And maybe, you know, maybe, just some of this stuff that I've shared, maybe that, that'll cause you to think that maybe there's some more you could do for the Lord. Not because you want a crown, but because you want to please Him. Bow your heads with me for just a moment, please, would you? Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit today. Lord, I believe there's some people in here this morning that are, at this moment, they're, they're reckoning, they're considering maybe where they stand with you today and where their heart is. Lord, while we're waiting, those of us that have a relationship with you, we're, we're waiting for a prepared place. We're waiting for a promised crown. God, it's possible today that there's people in here that are not ready. Even though heaven is waiting and ready for them, they may not be ready for heaven. 
Father, here's my prayer that if there's one person today under the sound of my voice that does not have that relationship with you that I talked about, in these next few moments, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just grip their hearts today. Maybe there's somebody here, Lord, that at one time served you and for some reason they've just decided it wasn't worth it and they've turned their back and they've been running from you, but God, they just... They sense the gentleness of your spirit wooing them and drawing them and saying, come on, I love you, I care about you, I'm ready to welcome you home. Father, I just ask that your spirit would do his work in these next few moments before we leave. I'm going to ask you today with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed, Just, I just want you to have a personal moment. Nobody looking around, please, if you don't mind. 